podcast. I am Jasmine, one of your hosts, and here with me is Caleb. Woo! And today our special guest is Pastor Ed Izaki. Hi, everybody. We don't have to keep these on anymore. We can take these off. We can okay. take off our headphones. Oh, so much better. That is nice. <laughs> Feels more natural. But um, Pastor Ed here ha- was my pastor growing up, and he was a great leader and I don't know if I should use the word inspiration, but really, I don't know if you know this, but there are moments that you spoke to me in my life that have really, that really changed my life. So, um, Aww, yeah, you feel yeah, important. you are important. <laughs> I do remember the day you were born. <laughs> really? I remember Uh-oh. that day. Yeah. <laughs> Birthing story. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you married us. And I married you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I got a lot of fingers in the crime. <laughs> So before we get into uh, pastoring, we're going to talk about pastoring in uh, the Central Valley, and you got, Jazz has got a whole outline made up, um, but what we usually do is we talk about the national holiday for today, because every day has got a national day. It, it, it's important. <laughs> okay, so today is June 11th, and it is King Kamehameha Day. Do you, do you have it's very, very important to Native Hawaiians. I don't know anything I about Native Hawaiians. I swear you'd be amazing at Jeopardy. I, I didn't know <laughs> yeah. who that was. He's <laughs> the only, only American king. The what? cricket. Oh, oh! I've seen this statue before. Yeah. Oh, we went to yeah. the palace. Yeah. In front we? of the Iolani Palace so in Honolulu. You've been, Jazz, but you just don't remember. I'm bad with names. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's Kamehameha. <laughs> it is also National Corn on the Cob Day. Oh, yum. I think Fresno State just released their corn on the mm-hmm. cob. Fresno State corn is out. Which is the best. And last but not least, it is National Work from Home Day. <laughs> I think every- <laughs> We've been celebrating that for three months. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, you also brought your wife. I brought my wife. T- why? I wanted to hear his answer. (laughs) I need someone to verify the accuracy of my memory. I've gotten to that age where maybe I don't remember things quite the way they were. She'll fact check you. (laughs) That is Gretchen. Yes. Doctor. Doctor. Doctor Gretchen. My second mom growing up. (laughs) so pastor ed we you know the role of a pastor is a really interesting role to take on i mean you're a leader you are taking care of people spiritually and mentally and and you have so many roles and i always wonder how how a person gets to that role so if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your path to get there i think my path was a little atypical. Um, I actually started out in college with a business degree, went um, into the business world in San Francisco, worked there, uh, became a certified public accountant, um, and then life took a a turn. Um, I didn't find that very fulfilling. Um, The whole idea of making wads of money sounded really good when I was in college, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, actually being there and seeing the sort of people you run into and 
you're spending a lot of time and energy just trying to make money and it wasn't it wasn't very fulfilling um and so actually i was not uh planning to be a pastor i went to seminary just so i could study for a year some things that i found interesting like the new testament learn new testament greek a little bit of church history those sorts of things that i didn't know about um, and I, I thought I would just go to seminary for a year on the East Coast, experience a different uh, context. Uh, I went to a name brand school, um, and so it would look good on applications to law school. So the idea was to go, go to Princeton for a year, apply to law school, and then pick up a, a law, tax, accounting, sort of career direction <laughs> and I never got around to wow. taking the LSATs or going to law school because um, there was something about seminary that that I found very interesting I decided uh, there was a, a the beginnings of a, a stirring there although I still wasn't sold on on being a pastor I I, w I really didn't know where I was going but um, it seemed like a, a good direction, at least for the short term. It wasn't actually until I finished six years, finished seminary, got ordained, finished six years as an associate pastor here in Fresno, a very successful church here, working for a, an amazing mentor. And then I went to Kingsburg, uh, which at the time was a pretty small church, a lot of older people, and that for me was the big test of, okay, is this something you want to do for a career or is this something that, you know, it's, it's been a, a great opportunity for a time, but maybe you're going to move back toward the for-profit world and do, doing something legal or accounting or business or something like that. So it wasn't until I, I got to, to Kingsburg and after about two years, I kind of came to the realization, um, as you said, the role involves wearing a lot of different hats. And I came to the realization that I'm actually pretty good at most of them. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a, a big epiphany. It was just kind of a logical, reasonable co conclusion that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I think I'm going to keep doing this. And that's how it happened. I think we should mention that you are now retired. Yes, 34 mm -hmm. years of full-time ministry, ordained ministry, and I retired a year ago uh, in March. So it's been uh, 14 months since I retired, 15 months. Wow, that's so cool. And I think it's good, too, because a lot it, of our listeners are sorry, in the – they're kind of in that either their start of their careers or maybe in college. And so hearing you just, oh, you know, I, I went to school, I got interested in something, I wanted to learn more, and then it led to this fulfilling – you know, 34-year-long career. You know, I, I would say I'm by nature an, an anxious person and a worrier. <clears throat> and so those years when I didn't really know what the direction was going to be or the destination was going to be, I'm not one who finds it easy to enjoy the journey because I'm about the destination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the security of destinations. Uh, but what I've noticed through my career and other people's career is that eventually people sort out into the place they're supposed to be. 
You know, I mean, think of your life experiences and the paths you go down, particularly if you're a person of faith and you believe that someone's guiding that, people generally end up where they're supposed to be. Um, and sometimes that's a surprise for them. It's not something they had planned, uh, but they find themselves there and they find themselves fulfilled and, and um, doing something that they find to be significant. So I wouldn't stress that. I, I, I wish I could go back to the 24-year-old me <laughs> and say, you know, the stress that you're putting on yourself in terms of your life role, you really should just relax and trust. Yeah. Um, I was not really good at that. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. Um, you know, most people in their 20s, um, there are two huge questions that uh, with, until those questions are, are answered, um, there's something lacking. So you could be finishing, uh, you know, PhD in astrophysics, but until you, you answer the mission question, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life that I'm going to find fulfilling? And then the mate question, who am I, who am I going to choose a, as a partner to, to accomplish this mission with, you know, until you get those questions answered, um, life can be very, um, we all think, oh gosh, it's so free and wonderful, you know, because you're not tied down and you have all this freedom. Well, uh, my experience was that felt too free and um, freedom's great until you find something that's worth sacrificing some of your freedom because it's so important to you. And certainly I found that in my wife and certainly I found that um, at Kingsburg Community Church, um, I have always jokingly said, <clears throat> had I been the pastor of any other church in town, I probably would have quit or been fired. <laughs> um, but it just, who would have thought the Japanese American guy mm -hmm. in a Swedish American church, we would have fit so well together. But I found out that Swedes and Japanese have a lot of social characteristics that are the same, <laughs> and it worked out really, really well. So, um, and also, uh, I grew up in Sacramento, and then I went to college and worked in the Bay Area, and then I went to New Jersey for seminary. So coming back to California and then being in the heart of the Central Valley, I didn't know how well it would work being a city kid and then living in a town of at that time Kingsburg was 5,000 people I think wow. or something on the on the sign so you know how's that gonna work and <laughs> um, it worked out great um, and again I'm a person of faith I believe that there was there was a, a guiding hand God put us there but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time and it you know there was <laughs> we were rightly wondering how's this gonna work out <laughs> <laughs> well as a kid I wasn't really aware of it but how important it was for you know one of the few families you know that are not quite fitting into the culture you know you know both my parents are 
were immigrants and just had a different lifestyle than a lot of the families in the church. And for me to look up and see a, a leader that looked like me as a young girl, I think I felt like I already belonged. I never felt like, I don't know if that contributed to it, but I think, I think it helped in my trajectory of, you know, leaders can, you can be anything basically, if that yeah, makes sense. You know, I, I think there was, uh, I think there was an inordinate amount of grace in, um, in the community that we had in our church that uh, my kids were not the only Asian American kids in the church. In fact, your mom was the tiger mom. I was not the tiger dad. I mean, I was a tiger dad, but not compared to your mom. So <laughs> my kids could watch TV during the week. And so, you know, they, <laughs> they knew that they would die if they didn't get A's, but you know, that was right. minor league compared to the Ma Food family. Right. <laughs> so, so. And I, we were allowed to hang out at church, so that we felt freedom at <laughs> Kingsway Community Church. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, th there were those things, and and again, I found out that some of my worst um, apprehensions about, you know, a small farm town in the Central Valley just weren't true mm -hmm. um you know i i was thinking well how's this gonna work i'm i've got a degree from berkeley and a degree from princeton seminary and i've got a emphasis in philosophy or religion how's this gonna work with guys who spend their week on the back of a tractor and you know is, is that gonna even connect and um i found many many very thoughtful uh, but not particularly formally educated people in our church, but very thoughtful, very deep people. And I found a surprising amount of uh, very well-educated people. Um, we had, in fact, I used to kind of have a joke that, you know, we had more teachers in our congregation than, it was like crazy. It was like we were giving So it wasn't as podunk away. as you thought. It was crazy, <laughs> the number of teachers we had. And they were people who were looking for, uh, preaching that was intellectually stimulating and uh, someone who felt like uh, really my job is to give you the tools to figure it out yourself. Um, you read the Bible, figure it out yourself. I'm not in the business of telling you how to live your life. Um, and that, that, and I, I imagine that that was a, that was a self-reinforcing thing. When you preach that way and people are happy, then new people come to town, people who are looking for, um, you know, maybe somebody who, um, I used to have a reading group during the summer and we would read Russian novels. So we did Tolstoy, we did Dostoevsky, uh, we did, uh, we did some America, we did Steinbeck, which is not exactly a Christian, he's an atheist, a communist, but, um, these were, um, authors that, that I felt, uh, gave us a really good perspective on the human condition and uh, dealt with themes that the Bible deals with um, as well, whether or not you're they, that author happened to be a believer. And oh gosh, I would have 15 people come to read Brothers Karamazov during the summer. And I that's kind of surprising, but again, yeah. it's I think that's really cool. It was kind of the community that we collected, um, and so so yeah, some of those those preconceptions just 
were not valid. Um, it is true. Like I'm the only guy in the church who drives a minivan and <laughs> I've never owned a pickup truck. And that put me, I, I probably was the only adult male in our church who'd never owned a pickup truck. <laughs> Your dad had a pickup truck, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So. He's, he's a redneck. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, okay. I'm a city kid. That's, so I don't care what yeah. what I drive has nothing to do with my personality or who my individuality. I want it cheap, and I want it to carry stuff. So. And I never, I never heard anyone, you know, even behind your back, you know, saying anything, thinking any less of you because you didn't drive a truck or because of this or because you were a Dodgers fan or <laughs> anything, you know. So yeah, there were. Yeah, that was so. another weird thing. You know, there were a small cadre of beleaguered, beleaguered Dodger fans in a giant infested town <laughs> during the the three giant 10, world 12, championships. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That was I mean, I, very unfortunate. <laughs> That's so cool. I will say about trucks, though, when you're in a farming community, those guys need the trucks to pull things. Like heavy equipment, right? It's not so just for looks. If you're a pastor, you're not really no. pulling trailers, so you can drive whatever you want, right? But <laughs> I mean, ducks like other ducks, you know. The, you know, I was like the only person in town who had to call somebody and say, "Hey, you know, I need to pick up some pellets from a pellet stove. Can I borrow your truck?" It's like what? <laughs> I totally understand. Whenever one of our friends are moving, the first people they call, Jazz and I, can we right. borrow your truck? Exactly. We got to put two couches right. in the back. Yeah. But uh, see, when people go skiing with their kids, they call me and say, can I borrow your minivan? <laughs> yeah, you can. In fact, or how many mission trips to Mexico that those minivans have gone to. You know? <laughs> so those little things like the book clubs and things like that, is that, do you think... Uh, you'd attribute that to the growth of the church. You know, there's a lot of churches like we're out here in Kerman and a lot of churches here, it's mainly older people and they're worried, you know, that, you know, there are so many, there are so many factors that go into it's, there isn't a recipe for church success, particularly in the central Valley. Um, For us at KCC, there was this remarkable match between um, mostly people who were 20 years older than me. I was 34 when I came to Kingsburg. So there were people in their 50s and 60s who somehow very quickly they trusted me to make changes that I was not making changes just for the sake of changes. I wasn't trying to uh, erase their heritage or the things that were important to them, but that we all wanted the same thing, and that was to attract younger people, to have a vibrant, growing, multi-generational church. And so, um, yeah, I'd say my leadership was um, essential to the growth and the, the health that we've achieved, but equally essential were the half a dozen families that were high influence families who all we just liked each other you know from (laughs) almost from the get-go i I remember uh the first summer i was there you know in the summer 
they kind of shut down during the summer. Other than Vacation Bible School, there wasn't any Sunday school. I'd never been in a church that didn't have Sunday school every Sunday. Um, and uh, there was a, a trailer club. They got in their RVs and they went places. And I remember one of our, actually it was my choir director saying, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. We're not going to be here this week. We've got this trailer club. And actually there's going to be like a dozen uh, uh couples from your church who aren't going to be here because they're all going in the trailer group with us and you know i was like gulp okay that's like a third of the congregation um but you know whatever you know you're Mm -hmm. retired i get it and um they were leaving from memorial park they were going to round up there at memorial park and then get on the freeway together and i thought you know i'm just getting to know these people so i got up at 6 a.m that day and uh, drove down to Memorial Park, and they're like, what are you doing here? I said, well, you know, you're not going to be at church this Sunday. So I thought uh, we could, I'd come down, and we just have a prayer to, you know, send you guys off, and, you know, I want you to know I'm not mad at you. You, you know, you've worked <laughs> your whole life to have this, and it was just one of those moments of, I think, maybe them saying, I like this guy. This guy cares about us, and, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, sometimes, especially new pastors come and they have an idea that they're going to change the world, but they don't even know their people yet. Mm-hmm. And I've always been the sort of pastor who can't see the forest, but for the trees. I mean, I kind of always have looked at the people first. And then once you get to know the people, you kind of say, okay, what can we do? So, I mean, you know, at KCC, 28 years I was there, we are the only congregation that has maintained a choir program for 28 years. Most pastors would say, that's the kiss of death. You know, choir music and organs and stuff like that. Oh, man, that's so old. You'll never attract anybody young. That's just the kiss of death. I never even thought about how I haven't been to another church with a choir except for the Lutheran church, which would be, um, you know. Yeah, well... um, (laughs) But it fit our church. Mm-hmm. Our church, people were more musically sophisticated than most churches. There was one time we had six or seven current or former music teachers in our choir at the same time. Well, not only did they love choral music, but they were actually good at it. So when they sing choral music, it actually sounds good. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, you had I remember right. you had Dan Bishop and then, exactly. and then you had uh, Mark Metz, not Mark Memley, that's his son, right? Uh, Kevin Memley. Kevin Memley. Yeah, Memley, right. Like we've got big, incredible big guns. Big guns. So yeah. yeah, you kind of ride the horse you have, and we had this great musically gifted congregation. Well, why would I want to kill that just because it's maybe not my style of music? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I have a radio. I could listen to my music all week. I don't have to impose that on everybody else. So, um, so, you know, is it, there's a, um, there's an art to it. Um, I'm sure in farming, there are things about soil and about contours of land and about certain crops and winds and rain that make it impossible to plant one thing. So you plant another thing. And so there's a dynamic there. You have to take what's given and work with that. Mm-hmm. And that's true with churches as well. Um, 
I have a question about the the church and mm-hmm. gen- like as a whole. So uh-huh. you you're bringing as a pastor. I don't. I mean, I don't know anything about being a pastor, but kind of the goal is to. Or we're talking about growing a church. Church. How do you keep the people you have uh, without? You know, you want to bring more people in, but I want to keep the people that I already have here and not scare them away. You know, whether that's making certain changes or you know maybe maybe I have to. We have to stop doing this, but your congregation kind of likes that. I know that's not what you did, but actually, I I did inadvertently lose some people, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to happen when there was a transit. We did a planned transition, so we didn't lose a lot of people when I stepped down. But we some people left, mm-hmm. but then some people came because now we've got a thirty-two year old pastor. So we've got a lot more 32-year-olds. Mm. Well, that's logical. Mm. It's going to happen. But um, that's different than uh, I, I knew of a pastor who, um, you know, he, he felt the, the worship style music needed to change, uh, which probably was the wise idea. But, um, you know, actually taking the organ console out of the sanctuary and demolishing it with a chainsaw (laughs) you know that was if you ask me was um it was obviously highly symbolic but to me that that was uh to the point of being disrespectful of saying to the people who love that and who paid for it probably back in the 50s you don't belong here anymore and you know meanwhile those people have been been paying for the church and what have you. I had, I've had some conversations early on with people where, um, where I sat down and said, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, and I understand that some things are going to be changing, and change is hard on all of us. Mm-hmm. But um, what I want for you is for you to have a thriving church family that still believes all the things that you believe. Maybe they do music that you don't like but is filled with people who love the lord and who love you and that when you die there will be someone praying over your grave who believes in eternity who believes that in jesus as savior and uh so we're going to keep the most important things mm-hmm. and i would i would hate for you to have a church that's you know dying where you know, it's the last person still alive turns off the light, you know, sort of thing. And sadly, there was always another church in town I could point to and say, you know, you know, go visit. You know, I'm sure you have friends at that other church. Go visit that church on Sunday and see what the energy's like. And they haven't changed anything in 30, 40 years. And because of that, they're already dead, even though there's still 50, 60 people left, but they're, they're dead. They, they don't have enough seed corn to plant a new crop. And so um, when I came, we we're about 135 in worship. And so people felt like, oh, you know, it's been like this. It's going to be fine. But I pretty much knew we had five years to turn it around. And if we didn't get a bunch of younger people in in five years, we were probably uh, close to the point of, of no return. So I was fortunate. I came in, 
I followed a guy who had just retired, so an older guy. So, and he was very easy to follow. Uh, he was well liked, but not necessarily loved. And people were ready for somebody new. Um, and well, it helps if you like people. And I, I like people. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm funny. So, you know, <laughs> people like to laugh, right? And yeah. so, you know, oh, we got a pastor who likes to tell jokes or, you know, that sort of thing where, where people um, actually know when you show up somewhere that they're, that person is glad to see you. That, that means a lot, especially in a small town, right? I oh, mean, because yeah. people in a small town, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, a pastor comes in and it's his job to say hi to you. Well, that's different than... Um, gosh, just a couple of days ago, we were taking a church out, a tree out in front of the church office. And so I was down there, you know, hauling brush with a bunch of guys and we hadn't seen each other in three months because of the COVID thing. And it was just fun to be together with a bunch of guys, you know, we're friends and you can't fake that. People know when, you know, gosh, I didn't do that much work. I was busy asking <laughs> people about their grandkids or how their kids are, or telling mm. them what my kids are doing and because we spent 28 years sharing our lives together. So mm-hmm. uh, those things, you know, those things never change. And that's um, kind of the true meaning of, you know, church. I think a lot of people think of church and yeah. they, they think of a building or like the business of church. No, no, no. It's a but, community. Right. It's a Christ community is what right. it is. It's, it's the group of people that Jesus um, calls together and you are committed to each other. And because of that, you go through the, you share the great times together. So, you know, the weddings, <laughs> that was a great wedding. Thank you. Okay. My daughter was in it and she looked beautiful. She and, did. you know, so, I mean, that was just, that was like a family deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, those are treasures, but then you'll go through the tough times too. Uh, when Whitney died, um, one of our, my next door neighbor, my kid's first babysitter and one of our youth interns was killed, uh, tragic accident Mm -hmm. out on the river on the 4th of July. And, uh, it just sucked all the oxygen out of the room for months. And, uh, yeah, I was the pastor who led us through that, but we were all walking through the same level of grief together. I I was going through, I mean, I was up there weeping too, because I mean, how can you not? So Mm -hmm. those things make you belong to each other. And, and that's the cool thing I'm seeing as, um, I think in the next month and a half or so two months there'll be three new babies in our church so i'm seeing these other families who some of them were in fourth grade when i came (laughs) um uh now they're weaving their lives together in the same way that your folks and i did Mm -hmm. and and gretchen and i did and our families did and you know the the mafu kids and the Azaki kids were about the same ages in school. Uh, I think Jana was a couple of years older than Ben. Yeah. Uh, Milia was, what, a year older than Ben. Um, 
and then Amy's your Amy's oh Miriam's and say, right. <laughs> Fact and, check. and yeah and then then you're a year older than than Amy so but you know yeah we we did stuff I can't remember how many times I've gone over and eaten lumpia and <laughs> kebabs <laughs> at your dad's house and, and you know I've never actually shot a dove in my life but I've eaten a lot at your dad's house <laughs> Right. No, you guys, you're truly, you know, we're Kingsler Community Church, but it really was, you know, that community. Yeah, exactly. It was our community, yeah. especially yeah. when your parents are yeah. very strict. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, and that's why I brought it up because I think a lot of the people are our age, Jasmine, mm-hmm. is uh, when they think of church, they think of something different other than a community. Right. You know, you hop around, you find one that fits your your well, lens. Yeah, and your it's view, a building. It's, it's a business. I think. You know, yeah, oh, is it a worship style? You and know, I like. and um, I only wish that people could understand what this Christ community actually feels like because they, I'm afraid that some people don't even know what they're missing. Mm-hmm. You know, because let's face it, we can go online and we can find better preachers than you know in our little country church. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, I, oh, I listen I'm to so a guy. Guilty, yeah. You know, I listen to a guy from Portland who's just amazing. Is and it Bridgetown? I, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I listen to. Yeah, I <laughs> wish I could I could preach like that guy, right? He's very good. Uh, but but but, um, but he doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. He didn't know my kids. I don't right. know his kids. Um, you know, uh, Gretchen just finished making the veil for Brittany Goldbeck's wedding, Aww. and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Kelsey. Kelsey. Kelsey, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, right. And yeah, I'm fact-checking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and fact-checking. she made Carissa's veil. Wow. And so, you know, we're at that age where, you know, it's someday our kids will probably get married. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. But, you know, we're, you know, it's like we belong to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if your listeners, your younger listeners, you know, even know what it's like to belong to people who aren't in your immediate family, but still um, uh, Lincoln has that beautiful uh, phrase, the mystic chords of memory, you know, and you know that that we can bind ourselves together with other people in a non-coercive, grace-filled um sort of relationship centered of course on our faith and you got to have jesus in the mix as far as i'm concerned Mm -hmm. because we're all imperfect and so we're going to screw up and there's going to be forgiveness needed somewhere and the only only uh, we're good at ending relationships um in the 21st century so we just um ghost people or we just cancel people mm-hmm. right. because there's always other people because we can connect to a thousand people on our keyboard in a day in a day right <laughs> but uh how many of your listeners say you know one of my goals is to have 50 year friendships at some point in my life where there are people who've been a part of my life for 50 years and they still mean the world to me and they're still there for me and i remember i was talking about the gift of 50-year friendships uh, about three years ago when I was preaching a sermon, just how unique that is and how we take it for granted because we live in a small 
town and some of these people went to high school together in the 1950s and but that it's a, a unique gift in our world today to have 50-year friendships and um so i finished the sermon and went out to have coffee and the little old ladies table they called <laughs> yeah. me over and helen corrected me and she said what are you talking about 50-year friendships and she said Marion and she named like three or four people. She said, we've been friends for over 70 years. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so... <laughs> I love it. And I was like, uh, yeah, and, and pity the people who have never had lasting friendships. And, um, and it's no wonder that people aren't very good at friendships and relationships because they just, when they go bad, they just dispose of one and get another. And they do that with their marriages sometimes. It's sad. They do that with their kids. You know, their kids disappoint them. And, okay, I'm going to write you off. You're not in the will. I'm not going to talk to you. And then pretty soon it's been 20 years. And that's a, that's a real shame. Um, I believe relationships are worth fighting for. Um, you know, there's there's been times when we've had to fight for a relationship with with one of our kids, you know, and but, you know, I couldn't live life without having a relationship with with my kids. Um, and I would say that with the people we belong to at our church. So I'm not I'm not the pastor of the church anymore. There's a new pastor. I actually stayed away for nine months to allow the transition to happen without me kind of backseat driving. Um, but coming back, it was coming home. And, you know, we belong to the to each other. And um, and that that's why everybody needs a church. You know, I was say everybody needs a local church. And um, uh, sadly, we're also in a time when across the nation churches are shrinking and dying that's not necessarily a central valley theme it's happening that throughout was my next question throughout the world it's maybe more pronounced here in the central valley because so many of our churches are small um, i think you need 250 to 300 people on a sunday morning to have what i call a full service church that is to have staff because anymore we're used to staff doing things not just everybody volunteering everybody's too busy mm -hmm. everybody has two careers so um you know mom wants to go and sit in worship and get fed and listen to the sermon not teach sunday school necessarily so we have to have staff who can can do those things or sit in the nursery that sort of thing um and to have the quality of a music program that we have with, uh, uh, with Kevin and uh, with Jesse doing the contemporary stuff, and to have the stuff that Stacy does with children, and to have a full-time youth pastor who's going to seminary but does great job and then supervises youth interns, uh, it it takes resources. That's such a good point to make for people trying to grow churches that it's not, it's no longer, you know, the stay at home mom who's teaching these, you have to adapt that to, to how everyone is working in 
These it, are full-time jobs. It has not been stay-at-home mom since I started. Wow. So, I mean, if they're just getting to professional uh, ministry staff besides the pastor, they're 34 years late. Wow. And so those transitions need to have, ha have happened. Um, and then there's the whole question of change. Uh, change is hard for all of us. Change is hard for young people as well as for older people. We have this plan to build a new campus. My kids don't want us to build a new campus because they know all the good hiding places <laughs> in the basement, right? Um, Sardines. Yeah. You're right, exactly, yeah. It's gonna be out and, the window, yeah, exactly. my whole technique. So change is hard, but people are willing to change, I've found, if you show them that they can't stay where they're at and that where you're taking them is a place they really wanna go. Getting there is hard. But if you can show them where we're going is really, really cool. Um, and we can't stay where we're at. We're on an iceberg, it's melting. It's drifting south toward the equator. <laughs> we're not going to be able to ride this thing forever. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, uh, so if you, you kind of get that idea in, and of course you, do, you try to do it with humility and kindness. Um, I love the fact that there are a couple of our younger people uh, who are in their, well, probably 30s now, but who will always go out of their way to go hug the 80-year-olds in the social hall and just say hi and let them know, you matter to me. And that's, our church has always been like that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, the older kids, I can remember the older, the junior high kids playing with the elementary school kids. That doesn't happen in a lot of churches, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we've kind of somehow, engineer, not engineered, it happened. We, we have this church where people really kind of pull for each other. There have been a couple of times where there have been people who didn't like the music change and so they left. That's happened. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's inevitable that some people aren't going to be able to go with you when you move to that next place. But if you can do it sensitively with kindness and then also with wisdom, there are some, I'll tell you what doesn't work in this, in the Valley, uh, people, pastors will go to conferences, uh, where, uh, pastors from out all over the nation come together and some incredibly gifted people, usually in a mega church, sometimes in the South or sometimes in LA or Seattle come and they say, let me tell you what we did and what worked in Washington DC or Seattle or LA or Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And you get these great ideas and you come back and you say, man, I live in Kingsburg, a town of 10,000 people. I'm gonna do that, you know, here well, context matters. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have a pickup truck if you're going to live here, you know, <laughs> except me. Um, uh, you know, context matters. Don't try to copy someone else. It won't work. And fortunately, the better conferences now, the speakers always say, please don't try to copy me. Get the idea of the principle 
and then try to say, how does that principle apply to my area? Um, and uh, sadly, you know, again, critical mass is getting larger and larger and larger. Church with 135, when I came to Kingsburg, was enough to keep the lights on and keep the pastor and the secretary paid and the custodian working. But with the staff now, no, we need 300 people to make that happen. And it may be 500 um, someday soon because of the influence of the uh, multi-campus multi-site churches and the larger churches. And by the way, I love the megachurch. Uh, I've learned a lot from megachurch people. Whenever we're down south, we go to Saddleback. I love Rick Warren. I got a tremendous amount of respect for him. But what he does doesn't work in Kingsburg. So, um, you know, people, uh, people need to understand their context and do what fits their context. And um, uh, and sadly, I think there are a lot of churches that have been coasting since the 50s, and some of those aren't going to make it. And that's, that's pretty blunt. That's one of the things that I'm known for in Kingsburg is being really blunt. Um, <laughs> well, we've been talking about being a pastor, and, but what if you're a part of the congregation of those churches? What like what when a pastor looks out into the congregation, what are they what is the pastor expecting from the congregation to help? To support then like a right a fully to support paid the church or? and I mean I know that you know, again, my situation was so weird. I had this group of people who really I can remember them saying no to me once. And they were right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can remember them saying, you know, in fact, they didn't even say no. You know, the, the chairman of my board said, Pastor, are you sure? <laughs> and I can remember taking a second. And my response was, well, I th thought I was sure. <laughs> but maybe I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> Is this a bad idea? <laughs> and so, you know, there was a very good relationship there. And I know that doesn't always happen. Um, I would say that both a congregation, especially congregation leadership and the pastor need to be able to, in a half a second, without thinking about it, they need to be able to answer the question, what do you want this church to look like 20 years from now? I mean, I have a picture. You want to hear what uh, Kingsburg Community Church, I'm not even the pastor anymore, <laughs> but I can tell you the programs we're going to have. I can tell you what the building's going to look like. I can tell you how my people are going to be there. I'm going to tell you, I mean, I got a picture of what it's supposed to look like, a preferable future 20 years from now. And so then we chart a course. Well, if we can't do that landlocked, we got a great location, but there's no parking. Everybody, there was a time we were driving in my family, three cars to churches, church every Sunday morning. And there's 98 parking spaces within a block of our church. And there's three churches kind of across the street. <laughs> so, you know, we need a parking lot. 
um, and we need more space. And so we need a place for kids, a lawn, so kids can, can play. And so, you know, we've got this 20 acres out on Mendocino that's going to be the new church campus some days. Not because I don't love our sanctuary. I'm glad I did my entire career there because I hate buildings pro programs. And I love the intimacy of our sanctuary. It's beautiful. But it's not big enough for 20 years from now. So somebody's going to have to make the, ch the church Kingsburg needs 20 years from now. And that's not going to happen by accident. And, mm -hmm. and so both the leadership of the church and the pastor need to have an idea what it needs to look like 20 years from now so they can work toward it. Because otherwise, people tend to do what they did. And if you, if you do what you did, you're going to get what you got. Nothing is going to change. Right. So um, that's, uh, you know, the gospel is always changing. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Saul, the Jewish Pharisee, to sit and break bread with a Gentile who ate shellfish and pork? I mean, imagine he had to, like, choke down the food. Right. You know, that I was in Cambodia once, and I tried... <laughs> fried tarantula and I was able to choke down one bite um, you know and having that even that mindset I feel like now it's like oh you know you do what's right for you you follow your diet right. but a simple act like eating tarantula was probably huge for them uh, oh man you just got to do it and so uh, the future you know we believe that that every person needs to hear the gospel in their own language and that means that as much as I don't necessarily love rap music. I love that there are Christian rappers out there who are embodying the same thing I believe and that you believe and that we find in scripture, but they're using a different form, art form, that is not my favorite. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've always said uh, a church is a family, and in a family, if you always get what you want, you are a jerk <laughs> because in my family there are five of us so if i get to go to my restaurant one in five times i am a lucky man <laughs> and but we don't get mad about that because somebody else gets to have their favorite and so we're happy for them unless we're really selfish and i hope we're not that so mm -hmm. you know Again, it, and that's a matter of coaching. That's where the pastor comes in, to coach people. And when people are really frustrated because something has changed, just to stop them and say, yeah, but you know what? We can be glad because those younger people up there with the babies, they love this kind of music. And I know it's not the same for you, but, um, but don't you love the fact that we've got these younger people in our church and this is connecting them with God in a deep way, that same way that you connected with God 70, 80 years ago at Sunday school or camp meeting or something, you know, that same warmed heart that we had when we knew that it wasn't just our parents' faith, it wasn't just Bible stories on a felt board, but there was, there was one who was hearing our prayers and who cared for us and knew us by name and loved us and saved us. And all of a sudden, everything went from black and white to color uh, in our lives. That, that moment of aha 
that's happening today uh, with people who are much, much younger than I am, but that's only gonna happen if we speak their language. And that means we do have to use technology. I've been amazed at what, during COVID, what our team has been able to do online. It's been really, really high quality. I don't know who do, does that. I don't know how, to, how they do it. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not there anymore, <laughs> but they're doing a great job. Um, somebody had to figure that one out. Um, and so uh, change is always hard, but it's necessary in order to, um, to reach the next generation. And we're not just called, we are called to reach the ends of the earth, but we're always, what do they say? Uh, God has no grandchildren. So, I mean, everybody has to be born into God's family. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get grandfathered in because your parents were believers does not make you a believer, <laughs> you right. know, deal. So if we're going to win, you know, we can't just be, I'm big on Africa and the Czech Republic and, you know, taking the gospel there. But it'd be really sad if we evangelize people in the Czech Republic, but we neglected to evangelize the next generation in Kingsburg. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and how are we going to do that? We're going to have to figure out a way to make that relevant. My thing with the next generation is, um, or even for me, struggling in, in my faith is just reconciling, um, you know, intellect and academia and science with your faith. And I know it's something I went through as a science major, just, you know, you have these biology professors, mm -hmm. you know, openly you know, putting down the gospel, putting down religious sure. beliefs and, mm -hmm. you know, talking about, well, yeah, how you do know, you, how do you, and I, scientific minds through the ages have been people of faith. Francis Collins now, I would say, is one of them. My wife is, <laughs> who is the scientist, <laughs> is, she, she, she just, she just uh, had to freak out. You there. didn't hear Francis yeah. Collins? Yeah. Go, go find Francis Collins. Yeah, find, <laughs> um, you know, um, I've, uh, that was the heart of some of my ministry because I went to Berkeley in the 70s where uh, to be a professing Christian <laughs> was a very perilous sort of thing. Not cool. <laughs> uh, it was less than not cool. Um, yeah. And it, it marked you as retrograde and it put you in the club of the people who condemned Galileo. So... Um, uh, that was a, a good reason to do some studying. Unfortunately, I went to a great church, Berkeley First Presbyterian Church, where people were deeply, deeply intellectual, and many, many of the Cal Science profs actually went to First Press. Um, and uh, th what I found was that science and uh, Christian faith have always been very... Uh, very much partners. In fact, you can make the case. We can't prove things because we can't do what ifs, but you can make the case that science only really arose because of the positive nature of um, the Christian understanding of the universe. And the reason why China, that um, had a greater technology than the West, um, never developed science was because they didn't have this idea of a great planner who planned the universe and that the universe could be known. Um, and so um, I've, my son is a biological science major. 
Um, since I'm no longer a pastor in Kingsburg, um, you know, I could say that when it comes to origins, um, I'm, I'm not a six-day creation guy. Mm-hmm. Um, God certainly could have created the world in six days if he wanted to, uh, because he's God. Um, but it, I don't think when you read Genesis 1, it, it reads like poetry to me. And um, so there's a lot of imagery in poetry. And uh, also, why would a day be 24 hours before there was a sun? Um, you know, they're just kind of practical things that way. Um, at the same time, uh, I, I occasionally will go to BioLogos. Uh, these people are uh, believe that God used uh, evolution as a tool uh, to uh, create life. Um, you can read their stuff. You can also go to Discovery Institute. They're the um, uh, intelligent design folks. Uh, they, as well, are uh, first top-notch scientists. Uh, they believe that there are things like the Cambrian explosion that are best um, uh, perhaps uh, explained by a more interventionist creator god, as well as the information-carrying capacity of the DNA molecule that that connotes um, intelligent design that someone wrote the script. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not qualified to decide, but it seems to me that people who are, uh, and, and as well as there are, um, there are creation science folks who are um, scientists working in their fields. Um, you know, that's probably the one area that, that I'm probably least disposed to, but um, uh, Christians who are scientists, who have their PhDs, who are teaching, can, can differ on six-day creation, intelligent design, uh, theistic evolution. So there's a, there's a long horizon. Um, there's a lot of different things that we can look at and still call ourselves biblical Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we need to not do is let other people divine us. And that's, that's the problem with the secularization of America, is that you're more right. liable to have someone who is not a believer telling you that you're not loving enough. Wait a minute. I'm not Jewish. It's not my job to tell Jewish people what they ought to believe. But everybody seems to be just fine. If they're an atheist, tell me what I ought to believe. Oh, you Christians, you know, you say, you know, you well, no, Jesus turned some tables over. He got into some people's faces. He called people names. He made it really clear that there were paths that lead to death and paths that lead to life. And so, you know, this kind of fuzzy, sentimental, all dogs go to heaven thing that people who are secularist will accuse us of not living up to is actually uh, a false standard that they've invented, they and the media have invented. And sadly, you know, we Christians are affected by that too. There, there are plenty of people who really are Christians, but their belief system has been... Um, Made more palatable. Yeah, they've they've bought things that are not biblical 
Um, and that's my failure as a pastor. I, mean, I need to, people like me need to be able to say, you know what, we would love it if, if everybody got to go to heaven. That would be a great thing. And it, let it never be said that Christians enjoy the idea that anybody's going to hell. But what, the way we read the Bible is that some people in their brokenness will choose to walk away from a loving God and uh, that God allows them to exercise that choice. And so that in my, our understanding, biblical understanding, not everybody does go to heaven. And, um, and it gets really dicey when, it, when you're talking about Uncle Harold, who, you know, his entire life, he cursed God, he called Christians names, and he said out loud, you know, before he died, um, you know, if there is a heaven and Jesus is at the door, I'm going to say no thank you and go to the other place. You know, okay, it's really hard to believe that that person who had who took pride in rejecting the Christian message would somehow have a change of heart the other side of the grave. You see what I mean? So um, uh, someone said, um, it, ultimately, I think it was C.S. Lewis said, uh, ultimately there are those who, to, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. And, you know, so some people will, will walk away. So, um, I like what you said, that how important it is for Christians to not be divided, or G followers of Jesus to not be divided. And I think it's really important that even though some may disagree on science of how the earth was created, that still we, the salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The, the things that we hold in common are so vitally important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not a Catholic. I don't believe the Pope is God's special representative on earth. But you know what? When I get to heaven, it won't matter. <laughs> and Father Greg, who's a good friend of mine, we ski together. Um, either he will be right or I will be right or neither of us will be right. right. <laughs> uh, but it won't matter to us. What will matter is there will be many, many people in eternity because Father Greg does what he does. And there will at least be a number of people <laughs> in heaven because I did what I did. And that to me is the, the overriding importance. And um, fortunately, I lived in Kingsburg, which is a place where I think most all of the pastors w agreed with those things. And that's, be that's the reason why we were able to do so much together to, to build CAPS so we could have ministry to the poor and to the homeless and the mentally ill and newcomers to our country so we could do things together like prayer breakfast so we could work together and respect each other and i i really respect uh the fellows that that i work with the other pastors even the pulpit swap i mean the you, pulpit, you yeah. allowed oh, yeah. each other to preach to yeah. each other's churches actually that's, that's crazy that's it, kind of crazy because in kingsburg it's so unremarkable people yawn mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world where uh, pastors from about 10 different churches, one Sunday a year, we swap pulpits. So 
I've preached when you said different churches, like different denominations. Yes. So mm-hmm. I preached Even in Catholic. the Lutheran Church, the mm-hmm. Covenant Church, the Baptist Church, the Mennonite Church, the Nazarene Church, the Catholic Church, the Assemblies of God Church, the Church of God uh, Church. I'm forgetting to, uh, the uh, Pentecostal Church of God. So all those churches I've preached in and all of those pastors have preached in my church. And obviously, we are not going to pick texts where we know we differ. <laughs> you know, well, no. We're, I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's no fun. <laughs> so Very respectful. We we pick a text about Christian unity, mm. and we talk about Christian unity, and that that has been a a positive a positive thing in terms of of our ministry together. And again, it keeps. It keeps our focus on the most important thing. You know, you can go to the Lutheran Church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you know what? So if somebody goes there, you know, someone marries someone in the Lutheran Church, they start going to the Lutheran Church, God bless you, you know? Um, um, you know, obviously, that boundary has limits. Uh, that li- Those limits would be historically... The creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, you know, the Jesus, Son of God, only Son of God, Savior. And, of course, that puts other folks who don't believe that you know, outside of that fellowship. So we're not a interfaith fellowship. And, frankly, that's not something that I would have uh, given time to. An interfaith, interfaith dialogue can be helpful at times. Especially when like there's conflict between, between no between faiths, so oh. Jews and Muslims and Christians getting together and talking about things. There's a, a there's there's a time when that can be helpful, um, but that's not something that I would put high on my priority list. Um, for for us, you know, we are one Christian family, and so working together with other Christian pastors was always a real honor and a positive thing. Um, How, uh, talking about denominations getting along, I feel like nowadays there's even more things that a pastor has to address that maybe the church hasn't had to address before. For example, one of our listeners asked if we could talk about race and Christianity, which I could see could really, depending on your view, could really divide a church if you know, it's very yeah. Well, I would topic. I would ex- you know maybe beyond race and just say the current political environment is mm-hmm. so uh, incredibly volatile. Oh, who you voted for? Yeah, and incredibly fragile. So, um, so uh, you know, we can disagree on Giants and Dodgers, or we can disagree on you know what kind of car we should drive or truck or whatever. Uh, you know, we can have all sorts of different opinions on uh, food or restaurants or uh, theater or literature or things like that. But, you know, if you vary it all from a certain political orthodoxy or view of the world, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're uh, attacked and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a very perilous time because of that. And I'm highly, highly uncomfortable with when I see what appears to be Christian believers 
taking their primary allegiance to Christ and making that secondary to any other allegiance, mm. whether that's a natural national allegiance, obviously a racial allegiance. Um, uh, you know, th- nothing should come above that. And I've always maintained, well, you've heard me say it from the pulpit. Um, the reason why I like big church as opposed to home church is that with big church, you're forced to sit with and befriend people who voted for the person you did not vote for. Mm. <laughs> and that's good for you. You don't like it, but it's good for you. Mm-hmm. And you need to do that because you're not God. You're not omniscient. And maybe you ought to listen a little bit because you need to listen more. We all need to listen more, mm-hmm. right? Preach and so, <laughs> so it's good. And I would say that same thing. I mean, um, how many... I think I counted 10 uh, multiracial families in our church. Um, I would like to take some credit for that, that the fact that, you know, Gretchen and I are two different races, that, that, you know, after about six months, it just, people were over the fact that I was a Japanese pastor and a, Mm-hmm. Swedish village that I was just pastor ed and um you know you get to know people and you don't see things and right. uh Frank Giannis was a youth pastor and he's Hispanic and nobody thinks of him that way it's Frank and so you know th- there's incredible uh well there isn't huge racial diversity but the racial diversity that we have um, race has not been a dividing thing for our church family, and that's been a tremendous blessing. I remember when the first family that adopted an African-American baby, uh, when that was happening in our church uh, almost 20 years ago, and the grandmother, who was uh, a very enlightened, educated person, was not going to have a problem with it, but she was fearful that other people in town might have a problem with it. And she came to me and she said, Pastor Ed, what do you think people are going to think? You know, my first grandchild is African-American and um, and she's white and her son and daughter-in-law could not have children. They're white, um, adopted an African-American girl. And I said to her, you know, I don't know about your generation. She's 20 years older than me. I don't know about your generation. There might still be somebody out there who might have an issue, but I can tell you my generation and down, everybody's going to be pleased because they couldn't have kids and now they have kids and so everybody's going to be happy. And I know my kids' generation are not even going to notice. Right. That's just, you know, they just don't get race my kids generation so your generation Mm -hmm. they just don't really get race and so um yeah the 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 racial divide stuff uh that maybe happens in other places um i would hope that's not christians um you know uh i know that there are a lot of sadly there are more racists in the united states 
than I wanted to believe. The, the events of the last six months, I was kind of naive. You know, I, I did not, I wanted to believe that racism was just a couple of 80 year old idiots living, you know, in the mountains somewhere, right? right? <laughs> uh, and sadly, it's pretty clear that's not true. Uh, but I would like to believe that serious Christians, so not just people who call themselves Christians, but people who go to church on Sunday, who have a Bible that they actually read, pray. who pray, that, that that is vanishingly small. And I, I mean, I got a good friend in Marietta, Georgia, who, you know, adopted an African-American boy and nobody cared, you know? And, and in fact, uh, his son played football for Marietta High School. And it was like the fourth generation of Mosleys who played football for Marietta High School. Well, the fourth generation happened to be black. And who cared? He was like an all-conference kicker. They were really glad to have him, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I just would like to believe that serious Christians understand that racism is evil. Um, now, some of the things that your generation is discussing, and I have these discussions with my kids, and especially one of my sons, he and I don't necessarily see eye to eye about the issue of privilege and um, I mean I understand what that means um, but um, you know my generation we were brought up in to to aspire to a race blind sort of mm -hmm. society um, and that seems to no longer necessarily be the goal of some folks who are advocating for um, disadvantaged minorities. Uh, I'm not sure I understand that very much. Um, back in the, the, again, this is a million years ago, um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, wrote about the crisis of the African-American family. That was when illegitimacy was in the 30 percents. Um, now it's like 80% mm -hmm. and, and white families, it's close to 50%. Yeah. And so uh, based on that, I've always felt that some of the issues with um, economic and educational and social underperformance of certain minority groups had to do with uh, family breakdown and, and issues mm -hmm. that were not necessarily just racism. So. I don't know if, like, I wouldn't want to be a a part of a conversation with people today about race because it just doesn't make sense to me much. Um, I've been called name. I'm old enough. I know the sting of having people call you names or finding out that one of your friend's uh, parents said that if you asked her to the prom, mm. uh, you know, and, and that she wouldn't be able to go and that, you know, she was forbidden to go, you know, and we were just friends and we went to the same church. 
Wow. Um, oh, man. But that was in 75 when I graduated from high school. So I, I know those things. But then when I ask, okay, what actual things held you back? I mean, so there were bad racial attitudes. And there were certain people who, I mean, I've had the insensitive things. Oh, you know, we fought your people in World War II. Well, my dad was in the 442nd uh, Regimental Combat Team, and he got a Purple Heart in Italy fighting <laughs> for the United States of America. So thank you very much. But, right. um, but when I think about me, did it keep me from growing up? I, I grew up in the ghetto, a broken home. I was an orphan. Um, did it keep me from going to Berkeley? No. So I went to the, one of the best public colleges in the nation did it keep me from going to princeton no did it keep me from getting a job with a major accounting firm in san francisco no did it did gretchen's parents have a problem with me dating her dating me or us getting married no did it prevent either of my two churches from hiring me no so you know in terms of my experience of racism is not the experience that perhaps other people are finding. And so I, I don't have a whole lot to, to say about that. You know, I, it would be easy for me to say, you know, all systemic racism is gone. I don't think that that's true. I think it's pretty clear with when it comes to heavy handed police uh, tactics, you're way more at risk as an African-American. Um, although I also wonder if you're a white guy with a tattoo on your neck, I was going to say, uh, uh, would that change things? Mm. I wonder, yes. you know, I, I don't know. It's, like it's how you dress. More than yeah. It's how you dress yeah. and how you take care of yourself yeah. and how you carry yourself. But, <laughs> but yeah. Hard, yeah. So anyway, so I yeah, well I, and you talk about the breakdown of the family and I totally agreement that that's where things that, that, that where that kind of starts and, the role of the church should be to grab those families and you know, help them and show them the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And my worry, I guess I, I really asked that question. Well, one, a listener asked us to talk about it, but also just, um, I'm afraid to even say what you've said because of how people are talking about it. If you don't say the right thing, you you'll could, get canceled. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, or even, you yeah. know, I'm so glad I'm not, the great a thing pastor, about being 63 but... is, you know, <laughs> cancel me. So, you know, and, and not it. to mention they're not going to cancel me. There's a, oh, that guy's so old. He's senile, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah. And you um, got half a head of hair. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's been there yeah. a while. Yeah. No, that, that, that is, what you bring up is actually, um, doesn't that make finding solutions a little more difficult if we can't even we can't even suggest something that might might not be helpful but we self-censor ourselves so we don't even say that thing and um so you know again um i long for the days when you know politicians were you know old people in suits and ties and business attire droning on on a Sunday afternoon when I wanted to watch the football game. Um, but at least it seemed like people talked to each other. And I think the last 
major piece of legislation that I can think of where they worked across the aisle was in 2001, uh, No Child Left Behind. Because, see, I was on the school board at the time, so that was a very important piece of legislation. And that was Ted Kennedy, and I forget who the Republican was, but George Bush was the one who signed it into law. The standardized testing. Uh, right, yeah, accountability and those sorts of things. And, um, uh, and since then, nothing. And I think with both major parties, if you were to try to work across the aisle, you would be canceled by your constituency because you're collaborating with the enemy. And that makes solving problems really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you know, Caleb and Jasmine have a dispute, but they can't talk to each other. So <laughs> how are they going to solve it? Right. Um, and so I don't know. Um, I hope your generation figures out a way to dance around all the no talk rules and to maybe um, appeal to the rational, calm folks and decide that people who are very, very volatile aren't necessarily good leaders and so maybe you know or even the majority because sometimes it feels like they're the majority even though just no the, the voice is the loudest at least around here yeah. the majority of us are just trying to keep our head low and not get called <laughs> names you know mm -hmm. i don't want to get called names you know and so you know and and um and that's here's the good thing here's the good thing about um living in the central valley um our world is pretty small and so we've had the last three presidents. We have a Republican. We had a Democrat for two terms. We had a Republican for two terms. We had a Democrat for two terms. And really, the world has not blown up. Uh, there have been better times and worse times. Uh, but really, life has gone on. People have had children people have gotten married people have started businesses people got educated you know and so i guess living in a small town you you kind of focus on granular on the on the very small granular things like well one of, one of the things that my family says is that i really appreciate is you know there's all these things going on but god is in control yeah, as long as that's not quietism. I mean, you're not just right. not doing anything. You should do what you, you can do. But um, in our church, maybe doing what we could do, um, that one family that uh, adopted the African-American baby, they adopted two more. So they have three, all three children, African-American, all great kids, love them. Um, let's see, there are... There's another family that adopted two. There's another family that adopted one. I mean, so we've got all these kind of blended families. And it's really sad when you talk to a mom who says that they have to have the talk with their son who's African-American. And that's very disheartening because that's real. Because, you know, the one son just graduated. He's a big boy, played football. 
and I just breaks my heart to think that his white mother has to say, you need to understand that if you get pulled over by the police, it's not the time for you to talk about your rights. You need to do everything he says. You need to avoid getting shot. Um, that's very, very discouraging. Um, uh, one would hope that that problem at least will get solved through this thing that we're getting, that, that everybody will know we have to be really careful about how police treat people who are and how we train them and how we train them check yeah, themselves exactly. before they yeah, make assumptions exactly, yeah exactly. that's what I'm hoping yeah. for too De uh, they, de escalation I know many mm -hmm. police forces are actually doing courses on de, de escalation um, I don't, I'm not a cop but I know a lot of cops and <laughs> I just don't believe these guys are racist I, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't believe they are and I, I was I actually heard a conversation today they were talking about um, the when our, our men were sent to I Iraq you know, and you're mm -hmm. sent into war and basically you go to war and you're, you think you're just going to blow stuff up, you know, go in there, right. you know, no regard for human life. Just go in. It's war. Well, then they found out in Iraq that's not working. So they had to change everything. So de-escalation. Now you have to be buddies and that with everybody. And, you know, yeah. find, find those things that protect the most people and save lives um, at the same time. I don't know. I don't get defund the police. Um, yeah. I think it's a it's a catchy slogan. You know, it looks good on a sign. Right. I've been um, reading about it because it's. I'm like, what? But yeah. um, I mean, if they're saying that it's you know take not take some of that money and redistribute it to other resources, but I feel like if that's true, then the name should be different. Defund the police. Is yeah. Like, yeah. It's or a, abolish. some people are saying abolish. Yeah. It's, police. it's a misuse yeah. of a term. Um, and I don't know if the ambiguity is intentional or not. Mm, right. Um, but the whole idea that, you know, that minority communities need less police, um, that that's probably not a good idea for South Chicago. Right. Um, so, and I'm absolutely 100% behind the idea that we should find ways to get more funds for mental health services and that mental being mentally ill should not mean that you get to sleep under a freeway overpass. Um, my mom was mentally ill. Uh, you know, it's it's really horrible uh, the, what we do with mental illness uh, in America today. But that's that's a matter of increasing funding for one thing, not necessarily taking away from another thing. And um, you know, I'm somebody's going to have to figure that one out because uh, what there's only so many dollars you can spend. As I said, I was on the school board for 16 years. I don't think that teachers are overpaid. <laughs> um, you know, education could use more money. We certainly could use more intervention at an earlier age. Universal preschool is not a bad idea, um, at least for 
um, at-risk communities. So, I mean, make it available, maybe not mandatory, but if you want it, you can get it, that sort of thing. Um, but where's the money going to come from? Right. You know, and if you make it a government thing, then you're going to have to have people who have credentials doing that, you know, preschool stuff. So instead of a, I don't know, $25,000 a year preschool teacher, you're going to have a $50,000 a year preschool teacher. It's sad, sadly, what happens whenever the government gets involved in anything. So mm -hmm. I don't know. These, um, the problems we have as a society are all very, very complex. And that's why we have a representative democracy. We want to elect representatives who can work in the nitty gritty and get things solved. And um, since I'm not one of those people, and I'm so fortunate, gosh, you know, I get to be a pastor in the same town for 28 years. It was a great church. We fit well together. I was also a member of a school board in a great district. It was a K district. And uh, it there was very little conflict. We didn't have union issues. Uh, people knew that the superintendent cared about them. Their principals cared about them. Um, so there were plenty of problems to solve, but they weren't people, you know, in huge angry conflict. Uh, I don't know how people will solve those things. You know, there's there's just so much anger, and maybe. <clears throat> You know, one of the reasons why I was a pastor is I just don't think we're at our best when we're angry and yelling at people. I know I'm not, you know. Jasmine is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have had every time I yelled at my kids back because it didn't help. It made things worse. And... um you know, it just seems to me that that we got to find a way. And of course, you know, I'm a Bible salesman. I'm, I'm about <laughs> Jesus. You know, I I would not be the person I am had it not been for being converted. And my dark side could have very easily taken control of me. That whole go into the business world, make a lot of money. Uh, Ambition, ambition, greed, power, status. That's a big part of who I was. And it wasn't a pretty sight. And so having to choose between that and ministry where you're helping people, um, you know, I was fortunate to make the, the right choice. And so, and that, that I think, um, we will have fewer churches in the valley in the future, but there will always be a need for the local church. I don't see, you can do a lot online, but there are some things you just can't do online. Mm -hmm. And those 50 year friendships where you're deep into people and where you're even having to deal with people when they're at their worst, but you don't break relationship, you find a way to get over it and forgive each other or just not talk about it anymore, you know, that sort of thing. Those are life skills that um, I'm not sure people are very good at negotiating disagreement anymore. They just yell and scream. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting how, um, 
how good the Mafud sisters are at being together with groups of people in a harmonious way. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's ever been royally PO'd at any of the four of you. Well, you had to live <laughs> together, right? And with all those cousins. And so you <laughs> learn to sort things out. And you know, that's a, a good reason to have big families, too. You, you, you learn to, to work things out without, and, and breaking off relationship is not, it's not an option. Yeah. You don't get to say, you know, oh, I'm mad at Miriam, so I'm never going to talk to her again. That you, that is sorry, you know, you know. My dad would literally like knock our heads together. Yeah, you, you say, don't get, get to along. say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we would to say along. to our kids, uh, uh, he is your best friend because it was mm -hmm. always Ben and John, right? Yeah, he's your best <laughs> friend. You know, uh, all your other friends, twenty years from now, you may not even know them. Yeah. But he will always be your best friend. So right. you get along. And so those sorts of things, and we practice that. Where do we practice that? We can practice that in a church community where we stand before God and we all say, yeah, I stink and I don't measure up. And left to my own, I pretty much am not a good person. And we can it's all, only by grace. We can all relate that we all stink. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or not having to be right all the time, right. or yeah. I think your answer kind of surprised me when you know putting together the outline for this, thinking about oh, what can the church be doing in these times of unrest? And what I'm hearing now is you know uh, strong families and learning how to disagree almost, and sitting by people right. who you disagree yeah. with, and maybe finding a gracious way to um, acknowledge that people are hurting. This is a hard time for our country but avoid either bending over backward and you know engaging in maoist confession sessions about how horrible we are of things that we're not guilty of good lord we're guilty of enough stuff <laughs> that we ought to be confessing we should, don't need to be confessing stuff we're not guilty of but at the same time having compassion for people who are going through difficult time but you know what i the election, the politics, all that stuff. I don't know. As a Christian, I just disengage. If mm -hmm. I can do something positive to encourage somebody today, that's probably more important than my opinion on the candidates for the November election. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah. Well, it's, I write down in a journal every day what I'm going to do. And recently, since all this has been, bring the joy of Jesus. Absolutely. To, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just making a phone call. Hey, yeah. I wonder what you're doing. Yeah. Are you as bored as I am? You know, yeah. it's, it's great, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 No sports? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was sarcastic. I don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, two weeks ago, I'm watching golf. Yeah. Why am I watching golf? <laughs> because there's nothing else on. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you no, like to share? No, or? no, 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 no. I've talked way too much. <laughs> it's my job. It's what I do. I thought you might have missed it, so we thought we'd ask you on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming over. Well, thank you. Talking. And Gretchen, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy and good to be fact checked a couple times. <laughs>
I hope you guys can hear the peanut gallery. It's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) But um, thank you guys for listening, and we will uh, see you later. Adios. Bye.